Hi, Carmina. Hi, Patch. Hi, listeners. Welcome to Jeepney Trip, a podcast where we explore everything fun, weird, and in-between about the Philippines. Hi! Today's trip is a round trip, and every episode will belong to a certain trip. For this round trip, we are likely to talk about historical facts and things that connect us back. So hopefully, we can go back to the Philippines and record an episode from there. That would be a really nice round trip. Why don't we talk about why we started this? I have a teenage daughter, and she has her friends who are very connected to their culture. They speak their native language, and this made her curious about her Filipino heritage. And then I realized that I've not been really good at teaching her our Filipino heritage. So I want to start doing that. And also for myself, I want to relearn our Filipino roots and culture. I remember when we were talking about this, I realized that I wanted to do the same for my niece and my nephew. Now, they're not quite as old as your daughter. They're only 10 and 4. But I was really inspired by what you said because I want them to understand where I came from, where they came from. And to your point, we've been here in the U.S. for such a long time that we need to relearn a lot of things about our own culture. Hopefully, what we're doing here is something that helps not just us, but a lot of people who want their kids to learn about the Filipino culture. The other thing is the Philippines and Filipinos are actually going mainstream nowadays. For example, there's so many TV shows now that feature a Filipino storyline. So one of these shows is Superstore. And if you have time, you have to go to YouTube and look it up. The Filipino character has a Tagalog dialogue with one of the American co-stars. It is so funny. So you really have to watch it. (laughs) I want to see the interaction. That's probably hilarious. And then the other show is Grey's Anatomy, which is so popular here in in the U.S. and around the world. I heard about that. The episode featured a story about COVID and a Filipino nurse's experience about COVID. It was really heartwarming. And then you recommended a Netflix series to me. Yes, Trece. I only watched the first episode and I want to watch the rest of the season. And I'm curious how they will introduce all the other mythical creatures in a way that they're not explaining what that mythical creature is. I'm very excited. The other thing that we thought about is we also want this podcast to teach our non-Filipino friends or anybody who's Filipino curious, since they're now hearing about us all over the place. I like that. And then the other thing, the most important thing, is food. Exactly. What could be more important than food? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So here in New York, there are just so many Filipino-themed restaurants now. I feel like our food is starting to go mainstream as well. So by adding this podcast to the mix, we're elevating and expanding people's knowledge about the Philippines. Why did we call it Jeepney Trip? We wanted a title that immediately reminded people of the Philippines. What is more iconic than the jeepney? Yeah, the imagery is very Pinoy. And did you know 
jeepney is an English word that's in the Merriam-Webster dictionary. No. The definition says, a jeepney is a Philippine jitney converted from a jeep. I thought that was really cool. I always knew that it's a combination of words, jeep and jitney, but I didn't realize it was in the Merriam-Webster dictionary. I think we might have been both absent on that day when they taught us Exactly. Uh, (laughs) Or talking to each other, (laughs) not paying attention. So maybe we should start by giving some pretty well-known historical facts about the jeepney, but maybe some people who didn't grow up around jeepneys may not be familiar with. After the Second World War, Cities were ravaged by the war, and a lot of the modes of transportation, which I believe, based on my readings, the most common mode of transportation were cable cars, and they were destroyed. They had a lot of these jeeps, which were those military uh, service or utility vehicles around. So in 1953, Leonardo Sarao, which is a very popular name, associated with the jeepney, he and his brothers, Ernesto and Eduardo, modified their first surplus jeep and they converted it to this six-passenger minibus. That became the first jeepney. And the first one was red and it had a silver horse attached on the hood and there were strips of plastic with really loud colors on the side. So that's how it began. I discovered an American textbook that traced how the horse concept as a global mode of transportation evolved into the automobiles or the vehicles that we use today. One of the case studies that this author dedicated a whole chapter to is how the Philippines' mode of transportation evolved from the kalesa to the jeepney. For our listeners who may not be familiar, a kalesa is a two-wheeled horse-drawn carriage. And it was the most popular mode of transportation when we were colonized by Spain. And the kalesas back then were apparently very colorful. Not just the kalesas, but the horses themselves. (laughs) Wait, what do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean the horses? The horses themselves were apparently decked out. And not only that, there was like a yearly horse parade oh, in the Philippines. Oh, okay, okay. Wow. Before the Second World War, there were these things called the autocalesas. And these autocalesas is a hybrid of the kalesa plus a body of, like if you imagine, a tram. Mm-hmm where people were on side benches facing each other, drawn by two horses, and it seated much more, of course, than the kalesa. The kalesa could only seat, what, two or four at the most? Mm -hmm. And this auto kalesa could seat 12, six on each side. So that's where that concept of the passengers facing each other in the jeepney came from. So that's also actually the start of cramming as many people (laughs) in a vehicle as it can hold. So one of the things that I remember when we were growing up Mm -hmm. in my desperation to get school on time 
was hanging out from behind a jeepney and my Catholic school uniform. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know if you've even tried that, but that was a normal part of my daily life. That's right. And I couldn't even worry about what view the other jeeps or cars behind me had when my skirt was just flapping all over the place like that. A word about our sponsor. Pat, you know what I could have used during my jeepney days? What? Soul Pack. That's right. And what exactly is Soul Pack? So you know how we used to stuff everything in one bag? Our books, our lunch, and what else? Our gym the shoes. shoes. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't exactly the most hygienic thing to do. You know, Soul Pack has these mechanisms where you can actually attach them to the back of your bag so that it's outside. I use the string bag, and unlike other drawstring bags, the place to put your shoes is outside, separate, and it has its own zippers. So all the funk from your shoes does not seep in. <laughs> and they now also have what's called an Omega backpack that has both the backpack functionality and the soul pack incorporated into it. So it's really great for traveling and for your everyday needs. Right. So it's very versatile and very convenient to use. Now our listeners can enjoy soul pack for a 10% discount if they visit thesoulpack.com and enter Jeepney Trip 10 at checkout. Now back to our show. That was one thing. And then the other thing that really interested me is how U.S. Congress influenced the trajectory of the jeepney. What do you mean? So when the war ended, mm -hmm. the U.S. manufacturers didn't want surplus wartime goods coming back to the U.S. And the arguments that they were making were, number one, we don't want all of these surplus goods because that means... There's going to be less jobs for the GIs when they come back here because all of these are already manufactured and ready to use. The other argument that they were making is the Jeeps were made for war, so it's actually unsafe for civilians. And if you wanted to make it safe for civilians, you have to spend a lot of money to make it safe for public use. But another backstory is that they were really just trying to create a foreign market for spare parts. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure the truth is a combination of all of those things, but right. I was about to say there's probably so many factors in play, and probably safety was the least of their <laughs> concerns. <laughs> That's what created the environment for the Jeepneys to be born. It just so fascinated me that something that was happening in US Congress created the right recipe for the jeepney to be born. I can't even imagine what would have happened to the jeepney if that didn't happen. <laughs> right. So it was a combination of the needs that we had, our ingenuity, and as it happens... The Americans didn't want them back. Exactly. <laughs> so if apparently the state of our roads just was so terrible. And by the way, the chapter of this book that talked about this part of our history, the devastation of Manila and all that happened during that time was really so heartbreaking. 
It also quoted U.S. soldiers' admiration for the Filipino ingenuity, like you talked about, and how they used whatever they could from the rubble for their survival. And one of them was the adaptation of the surplus jeeps into the jeepney. Did you learn anything about Sarao Motors? Apparently, the design of the jeepney, even before Sarao, was credited to a band musician and composer. What? <laughs> named Claude Delvino. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it was the war. He didn't have a job. Right. <laughs> and as a means of earning money, he decided to convert one of these surplus Jeeps into a passenger vehicle. He is the first recorded person who drew the design of the Jeep. He even had the word jeepney on the windshield. Oh. After the war, though, mm-hmm. he went back to showbiz. <laughs> Naturally. <laughs> and then Sarau is definitely one of the most important figures in the jeepney history. But there's one other person. And his name is Anastasio Francisco. I'm not familiar with Anastasio at all. Anastasio and Leonardo Sarau mm-hmm. met in a Calesa factory. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> so, in this Calesa factory, they had very distinct jobs. So, Sarau was responsible for the frame of the Calesa. Okay. The carriage itself mm-hmm. and putting it together. Mm-hmm. Francisco was the one who painted them. Ah, So he was the artistic part of the Calesa making. What ended up happening after the war was Francisco expanded his body painting business. And then simultaneously, Sarau opened his own assembly shop. So they didn't join forces right away. It was after they both expanded their businesses that they joined together to start manufacturing jeepneys. They were really impressive because they only finished grade school, but they dominated the jeepney industry for decades after the war. They carried love of their Kalesa origins mm-hmm. that they placed that horse hood ornament on every Jeep that they made as an homage to where they came from. All of the jeepneys in the Philippines that I remember right. has one, two, four, sixteen horses. Exactly. That's part of the folk artsy imagery that the jeepney has. Apart from Sarau and Francisco and the way they've dominated the jeepney industry for decades, there really hasn't been anyone since who has come close to what they achieved and the amount of jeepneys that they manufactured. It's really something that needs to be preserved, the contribution of these two people. So do you remember what the interior of the jeep looked like? Oh my God, I remember them being predominantly religious. And some of them even had statues of the baby Jesus (laughs) and Mother Mary staring you down. It probably was to discourage people who were tempted to skip the fair because you felt like you would go straight to hell. (laughs) For those who have never ridden a Jeep, please describe how one pays for their fair. People will pass their fair from one hand to the next until it gets to the jeepney driver. Mm -hmm. And I remember hanging from the back of the jeepney. (laughs) 
And really, you have no other way of paying the driver except to pass the money around. So both the paying for Mm -hmm. and how your payment gets to the jeepney driver is based on an honor system. Mm -hmm. And I guess the religious relics kind of encourage this (laughs) honesty system. But this practice has its roots to our Filipino hospitality practices. (laughs) And of course, historically and culturally, they're saying that's the reason why they pick up people from anywhere and let them get off anywhere. (laughs) Right. I remember there was no rhyme or reason to when or where the jeepney can stop. It will stop when somebody wants it to stop. And do you remember how you asked the driver to stop? Uh, I remember just screaming it out, but I think there's another well-known method about exactly <laughs> about how to do and that. And that method is basically tapping the roof of the jeepney as, as hard, hard as, as you, you can. can. <laughs> The stopping and the starting, there really are more restrictions around that. That there are some jeepney drivers who refuse to go on routes where there's traffic rules. (laughs) Traffic rules who, I don't know. Exactly. (laughs) What about that? I mean, they are the king of the road. That's That's what the jeepneys are. And that's actually the draw for a lot of jeepney drivers. There's so many of them still, right? In spite of all of the modern modes of transportation that we now have, there's still a lot of jeepney drivers. And that's because the entrepreneurship portion of it is really appealing to people. The pride of being the king of the road, Mm -hmm. being your own boss. That's the appeal that a lot of people find in being a jeepney driver. So I went to the Sarau Facebook page and the price list as of February 2020 of a 20 passenger jeepney starts at 400,000 pesos. So how would a ordinary jeepney driver be able to afford one? I know. Wow, that's not cheap. Well, I actually was reading up about the business model (laughs) of the jeepney. Right. And there's one business model where you own it outright. But there's also this other business model called the boundary system. This has to do with a jeepney owner basically renting out their jeeps to a driver. If you're my driver, I have an expectation that you're going to break even. If they exceed that, Everything over that is split between the owner Mm -hmm. and the driver. And the typical split is 40% to the driver and 60% to the owner. So a jeepney driver is able to do that if they can find an owner who can enter into a boundary agreement with them. I wonder how the situation is now as far as how popular the jeepneys are still, I know that they're facing out. There's this program called the Public Utility Vehicle Modernization Program. This program was launched in 2017 under the current administration and really isn't jeepney specific. On paper, it seems to have good objectives. They say that they want to restructure and modernize our transportation system into something that's more environmentally friendly and sustainable. So the vision sounds good. And one of the provisions allowed this three-year transportation 
transition period. But for whatever reason, the president mandated the phase-out of traditional jeepneys by the end of 2017, which was the same year this program was launched. And one of the reasons why he wanted that to happen was because jeepneys caused a lot of pollution and greenhouse gas emissions, which, let's be real, Right. I think we know that the jeepney isn't the most eco-friendly vehicle on the road. However, when more studies were done, people found that the biggest contributor to greenhouse emissions was actually private cars. Not even the jeepneys. Not even the jeepneys. I mean, they are up there, but they're not right. the biggest offenders. Rightfully so, the jeepney owners and drivers felt picked on. So Mm -hmm. in 2017, they held a protest Mm -hmm. and they were successful in being part of that three-year transition because of that protest. Otherwise, they would have been phased out by the end of 2017. So they had until 2020 to comply with these requirements. However, as we know, the pandemic happened. Mm -hmm. As of today, things are very much still up in the air. And we obviously can't go into too much depth about this or both sides of this issue in the time that we have. And we certainly don't claim to be experts. But one thing's for sure, these poor jeepney drivers with the combined effects of the pandemic and this program hanging over their heads is not a good thing. The government, because of this program, commissioned some alternatives to the jeepney, right? I've seen them. I've seen the pictures of these electric jeepneys is what they're calling them. But to me, they look nothing like the jeepneys. I am all for environmentally friendly vehicles, but I just wish that the cultural aspect of what the jeepney is, is not erased. I'm hoping that they would kind of embellish these vehicles similar to how the jeepney was embellished with the portraits, the off-color slogans even. To your point earlier, right? A jeepney is 400,000 pesos in the Sarao Facebook page. I wonder how much of these electric vehicles cost. And that was the other sticking point to the jeepney drivers and the advocates for the jeepney drivers is these electric vehicles are going to price them out of a living and the government isn't exactly offering any subsidies or help to them to be able to make that transition. One of the things that we were talking about is maybe we need to research more on how we can help these jeepney drivers and perhaps we can include some of these organizations' links in our podcast summaries somehow. Right. We're going to definitely link them to our show notes. I just wanted to mention a couple of fun facts that I've come across The Sarao Jeepneys were exhibited at the Philippine Pavilion during the 1964 New York World's Fair. Wow. And they even saw pictures of the Jeepney in front of the Pan Am building. I was thinking, imagine if you saw a Jeepney driving past you in Park Avenue right now. (laughs) The other thing that I came across was that Again, Sarao, in partnership with the Philippine Tourist and Travel Association in 1971, took the jeepney all over Europe as the London Manila Express. And it was co-sponsored by KLM, PAL, Air France, and 
Hotel Intercontinental. So the jeepney reached Paris, London, Berlin, and Vienna. You know, that image of the jeepney in front of the Eiffel Tower is really very thrilling to me. I've never put those two images together in my head. And then when Pope John Paul II visited the Philippines in 1981, his Pope mobile was a jeepney that Sarau provided. That is so cool. Well, all of these nostalgic things hopefully give people an incentive to learn more about the plight of the jeepney today. That's our first episode. We hope you come back and take more trips with us. Oshasha! Ingat! Thanks for listening to Jeepney Trip with Carmina and Patch. Logo design by Fred Agkawili. If you want to listen to more episodes, please subscribe to our show at Apple Podcasts or wherever all fine podcasts are downloaded. We'd love to hear from you, so please rate and leave a review. Follow Jeepney Trip on Twitter and Instagram. If you have a question, email us at jeepneytrip at gmail.com.